Well, what is going on, everybody? How are you? Oh, come on. Y'all going to have to wake up a little bit. How are you? That's a little bit better. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll warm up as we go along today. For those who I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision, and I get to preach this second week of our Joshua series, Courage for Battle. And it just so happens that this weekend is MLK weekend where we pause, we reflect on the impact that MLK had on this world. And what I love most about MLK, because he has been one of my heroes the majority of my life. I loved what he did for equality. I love what he did for reconciliation. But chief, chiefly, what MLK did was he did work for the kingdom of God. See, the work in which he did was heaven truly intersecting earth. And I love all that he did, but what I love most about MLK was that he was willing to let what he was doing for the kingdom overflow into his everyday life. And what we have seen through his impact in his life is that he fixed his eyes on the king and he took steps to follow his lead and to do all that he was called to do. This picture I'm holding in my hand has been a part of my life and my family ever since I can remember. This used to hang up in our house. I remember as a kid, I would listen to the I Have a Dream speech over and over and over again, and I would try to imitate Martin Luther King Jr. Let me go ahead and tell you, I did not imitate him because you don't imitate that brother, y'all. But I would try, and I would, I would recount that message and recount that speech and, and say it, and it encouraged me. Because here was a God that no matter what anyone else had to say about him, he knew who God had called him to be and what God had called him to do, and he was unswervingly pursuing that for the kingdom of God. One of my favorite quotes by MLK is found in his book, Letters from a Birmingham Jail. And if you have never, ever read that book, I would encourage you to do so. It's one of the most impactful books I've read. Martin Luther King, sitting in a jail in Birmingham, writes to his fellow followers and fellow believers in Jesus. And he reminds them of what is true, as well as calling them to let their lives reflect the kingdom of God here and now. And this is what he said. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. Let me say that again. They had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number but big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. That's something worth underlining and quoting. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. See, his words about being too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated is reflected in the story and the narrative that we are going to read today. Because our brother in Christ, Martin Luther King, he fixed his eyes 
on the king. He said, whatever is necessary, I am going to be a vessel for heaven to intersect earth. And we are given the same invitation. And our sister Rahab that we're going to read about today in Joshua 2 did the same thing. She was willing to fix her eyes on this king that most people thought she had no business proclaiming, had no business surrendering to because she was an outsider. She was a woman. She was viewed as less than. Her profession was not honoring to God. So why would God use a woman like that to be a part in bringing about his promises? What Martin Luther King Jr. and what Ray had had in common was this. They were both willing to surrender a lesser kingdom for a greater kingdom. Let me say that again. They were willing to surrender a lesser kingdom, what they were familiar with, what the status quo was, for a greater kingdom. And spoiler alert, that greater kingdom is the kingdom of God. Because his kingdom truly is the greatest kingdom, and it works in different ways and it operates with new mandates and new ways of doing things. This kingdom is worth surrendering your life for because it truly is a better kingdom. You could even say about Rahab and Martin Luther King, they were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. You could say that they fixed their eyes on the king, and because of their obedience, because of their willingness, and because the king was willing to meet them right where they were, God used them in such a way to change the mores, which means the interworkings of society. God used them in a great way. And we are going to see as we navigate through Joshua 2, we are invited to surrender lesser kingdoms for a greater kingdom. And the question we're going to be faced with today Are we willing? Are you willing to surrender maybe what you're used to? Are you willing to maybe surrender what you have looked to for your identity and what you have rooted your identity in? Are you willing to surrender that for a greater kingdom? Because what I love about the kingdom of God, and we're going to see through the narrative of Joshua 2, is that in the kingdom of God, all are welcome, spies, enemies, and all the in-between are welcome to the table of the king. And because that is true, here's what is true about you. You are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. You are invited to play a part. You are invited to be a part of building this kingdom that will last forever. The question is, are you willing to surrender a lesser kingdom for a greater kingdom? If you would, bow your heads, let's pray. Dear Jesus, Thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Thank you that your fingerprints are all over history. Thank you that we have the examples of those who were so God intoxicated that they refused to be astronomically intimidated and they walked out your ways and through their life we see that you use them to be a conduit of your kingdom. And Lord, may we do likewise. May we not be a people that hold on so tightly to what we're used to, to cultural norms, but may we be a people that because you are good, because of what you have done, that we are willing to surrender lesser things for a greater king. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. May our walls begin to crumble and may your word take root in our hearts and yield some beautiful fruit. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you, 
And Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. All right, go ahead and pull out your Bibles or your phones or your desktops, whatever it is you use to read God's word. We're going to be in Joshua 2. If you don't know where Joshua 2 is, it's right after Joshua 1. There you go. I just helped you. Be blessed. We're going to start in Joshua 2, and we're going to begin in the first verse, and we're going to read a lot of Scripture, and I'm going to talk faster so I can fit it all in. Because the text today is so strong and so powerful, I don't want us to miss a beat. A couple of things you need to know if you were not here last week and you did not get an opportunity to listen to the message of Joshua 1, I will go back, listen to it, let that take root in your heart. This week, some things you need to know is Joshua. He's one of the main characters in this narrative in the book of Joshua. God used him. He was second in command when Moses was around, and God called Moses and placed Joshua in his place to lead the people to the promised land. You're going to need to know the Canaanite nation. These are the enemies of God. These are the people that are possessing the promised land, which is the obstacle in which the nation of Israel, we're going to see some of them represented with the spies, are going to have to take. And of course, the centerpiece of this story is God himself, because God is continuing to reveal that he is a promise keeper, everybody. He does what he says he was going to do. His kingdom is better. And we're going to come in contact with a young woman named Rahab, a woman who is at this time, was not esteemed very highly. Her profession was a prostitute. As you do some further digging, it looks like not only was she a prostitute, but it might have been that she was the owner of a brothel. And so here she is, the most unlikeliest of people, an outsider. Why would God choose to use someone like that? By any of our standards, we wouldn't have picked her first. But God allows everyone to his table, and God can use the most unlikeliest of people to reveal his character, his nature, and the beauty of his kingdom. And God's going to use all these pieces to reveal himself in the beauty of his kingdom. So Joshua 2, y'all ready? Buckle up. Here we go. Verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, Secretly sent two spies from Shittim. You got to be careful saying that, y'all. <laughs> Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the man who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman, referring to Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the man came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the man set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. So we're introduced to this character, Rahab. 
Not someone we think would be introduced in the way in which she was introduced. Not someone you would think that God would use to fulfill his promise. Not someone that you would think would be chief on the list as someone that God would use to allow his people to take hold of a promise that he had secured for them. But he was using Rahab. Because in the kingdom of God, everybody has a seat at the table. If you are somebody that's an amener and an affirmer, that would be a good place to affirm that. Because because of that, you and I are included in this. Because at the table of the king, we all get an invitation through what Jesus has done. That should make somebody go, "Woo! I'm invited. Even though people try to tell me that my past has discounted me, according to the king and in his kingdom, he has made and set a place for me at his table. I'm telling you, that should make us walk a little differently. That should make us and cause us to rejoice that at the, in the kingdom of God, everybody has a seat at the table, even the outsiders, even those that were deemed enemies even those that were deemed not good enough, they are invited to the table. And as you read that text, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but Rahab told a lie. Did y'all notice that? Ooh, Rahab, what you doing lying? Now, some people will take that as permission to lie. That is not what that is, y'all. Rahab lied. You also know that Rahab had a history. Rahab is acting according to her normal nature, everybody. She had probably lied before. And so, yes, she had heard of God. Yes, she had heard of this kingdom. Yes, she had heard of what God was doing. But she was using what she was familiar with as weapons. And for her, she picked up a lie and wielded it in order to bring about what she thought was the best thing to bring about. Can I just go ahead and say this to you? Her line was not the best move. It wasn't. But it was the move that she chose to use. And so she did lie. But that doesn't mean that this is laying out a pathway that we should navigate. God in no way is saying, hey, everybody, we're going to lie. No, God does not contradict his word. But Rahab, being who Rahab was, was being herself. Also, further revelation that God uses even the most broken of things to bring about his ways. Verse 8, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Let me pause right here. See, sometimes when we hear that, when we go, man, Rahab has heard about the things of God and there is a fear that has come over her people and has come over us, her. And sometimes we go, man, I don't like that God is, people are fearing God. This feels like a different God. Guys, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to break it down for this. This is how I better understand it. So I have three babies, and they're beautiful. If you see them on social media, you would agree they're beautiful because I married really, really well, okay? But my kids, I love them. We laugh together. 
we sing together. They try to attack a brother, and I kick him. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing we have going on. It's like WrestleMania. It is beautiful. We ride in the car together. We talk. I listen. My daughter tells me about a boy, and I go find him. All kinds of wonderful things happen. And there are moments that we are laughing. There are moments where they are walking in the ways that I have raised them to go. But then there are also the moments when they reveal that they are people in need of grace and a Savior. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And as their father, who has been called to lead to God to provide for them, There are moments where my mama would say it this way. There are come to Jesus meetings. In those meetings, hear me, I do not love them less. I do not look at them differently. But there are moments where they need to be reminded of the place that I have been given in this family. And you may even say, in moments, they have a healthy fear of me. Why? Because they are aware of who I am. They are aware that through the gift of God, through God's provision that he has allowed me the opportunity to provide for them, that they understand that everything in that house they didn't pay a dime for. They recognize the position and they recognize who I am. And so there is a healthy amount of fear. My kids aren't walking around thinking around every corner, I'm going to jump out. That's not what I'm talking about. But my kids recognize my position and who I am, and it changes the way they operate. And sometimes me and Laurel have this conversation. She'll be like, it's amazing what happens when you get the dad voice. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And y'all, I didn't even know I had it. It kind of came out one day, and I was like, who was that? I like it, because my, kid was, my kids were like, whoa. And my wife was like, that's amazing. And I think about that. I think about Rahab, what Rahab had heard and seen. Think about this, y'all. She had heard about their God splitting a sea in two. Doesn't that make you want to respect the person responsible for that? You're like, listen, if you can split a sea into, you could split me into. They had heard about the provision. They had heard that the nation of Israel had been freed from one of the powerhouses at this time, Egypt. They were fully aware of what the God of the Israelites were capable of. And so, yes, they were, fear fell on them because they recognized who the God of the Israelites was. She goes on to say this. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, listen to this, y'all. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Here's what she's saying. I'll translate to 2022 language. Your king is the true king. Your God is the real God. Your God is the one that is and forevermore will be. Your God is king. And in that moment, and as she continues on this journey, Rahab surrendered 
a familiar kingdom for a greater kingdom. In spite of all the barriers standing in the way, despite the fact that she was a foreigner, despite the fact that she was an outcast, despite the fact of what she did as a job and an occupation, in spite any of these things, God was able to reveal himself to her, and she surrendered a familiar kingdom for a greater kingdom. Even though it does not make sense, even though as you look at this story, there is no way this should make sense. She had not heard about the other stories of God's provision for his nation of Israel. She grew up on the wrong street in the wrong time, in the wrong side of the street. But yet, God was revealing himself to her. And she was confident. You know what else I love is that this faith, this surrendering of this lesser kingdom to engage and embrace the greatest of kingdom, it wasn't just based on feelings. It was based on facts. She gave some facts. She's like, yeah, Og, that king, he, mm-hmm. She's recounting all that God had done. She's reciting all the ways in which God had proven himself to be who he said he was. And also think about it, y'all. Think about what she is surrendering. Living within the walls of Jericho and her very home is in the wall of Jericho, which we'll find out. Like, she is surrendering a lot. She is surrendering a way that she has no familiarity with for a way that is different, that is outside of her comfort zone. She is releasing and surrendering the cultural norms of the time. Why? For a better kingdom. And we are invited to do the same thing. What I love about this is that she was willing. See, she looked at the landscape of the land, and she's like, nope, I'm not aligning with my native Canaanite people because I have seen this true God. I have seen who God is, and I can no longer just go with the normal cultural sway and the wave in which it's going. I can't do it because I see God for who he is. In her posture, in the way that she's like, listen, I'm going to surrender it my way to the real king and the real God reminds me of this quote by Tony Evans. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Let me say it again in case you missed that. Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. See, what I am really guilty of doing is I try to fit Jesus into my normal rhythm of life. I'm sure you don't do that. But what I try to do is I say, Jesus, I know what you said, but this is how I want to fit you into my life in the normal way I live. And so, Jesus, you can get on my agenda and walk in my ways. Can I just tell everybody something? That is not what the Savior does. He does not come to just play a part and to take a side. He takes over. And Rahab said, you can take over I surrender lesser for what is greater. I surrender lesser for what is greater. Verse 12. Now then, Rahab's still talking. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. 
Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. The spies, these Israelites, say back to her, our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Do you see that Rahab's act of obedience, that Rahab's act of surrendering, that because of what Rahab chose to do, her surrendering a lesser kingdom for a greater kingdom changed her family and future generations, y'all. And can I tell you something that's kind of mind-boggling to me? She did not know how this story was going to end. She did not know that one day she was going to be in the genealogy of the Savior of the world. She didn't know that. She just saw the king for who he was. She surrendered what was lesser. She embraced what was greater. And because of this, she changed her family. She changed generations. She changed those around her. Everything changed because of her act of obedience. And because of that, Rahab got to play a part in changing the course of history. Can I just say this to you as a friend? Even if you don't give me permission, I'm going to say it anyways. You have no idea what is on the other side of your obedience. You have just been invited to trust, obey, and step. And let me go ahead and tell you this. God will use it. Far beyond what you could ever hope or imagine, he will use that step of obedience. Rahab had no idea that she was going to play a part in the lineage of Jesus. But she surrendered the lesser kingdom for a greater kingdom, and God used her step of obedience to change generations. Verse 17. Now, now the man had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. If you would, go ahead right now, right where you are, if you're using your phone or your tablet, highlight scarlet cord. Do it now. I'm not doing it. I'm watching you. Highlight scarlet cord, and we're going to come back to that. In the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible as for those who are in the house with you. Their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. If you would, go ahead and highlight that too. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
Underline that again. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. I wrote this in my notes. Our place in the kingdom is solidified by the king. Let me say that again. Our place in the kingdom is solidified by the king. See, listen, it's not just because of Rahab's, her smartness, her ability to adapt that secures her family and herself freedom. It's not just her will and what she has done, no. It's because she put the scarlet rope in the window as significant as letting everyone know that this is her free passage, that this is a home that is protected, that this is a home that death does not have a way with. Can I just tell y'all something? I love being a pastor because Jesus is way better at this than I am. And let me tell you what I mean. See, I can't come up with this stuff. The fact that Rahab put a scarlet rope in her window, the king just goes, hey, Nick, I'm going to put the ball on the tee for you to tell my people what is true. Just don't mess anything up. She put a scarlet rope in the window so that her family would not taste of death. Does that not sound a little familiar, church people? If you were new to church, let me tell you a little story found back in Exodus See, there was this unblemished lamb during one of the plagues that had to be slaughtered in order for the people of God to be protected from the plague of death. And you won't believe what they did with the lamb and the blood of the lamb. You won't believe what they did, but I'm going to tell you. They put it over the doorpost of their house. They put it on the doorpost, and as long as they put the blood of the unblemished lamb on their doorpost, you know what happened? They did not die. Why? Because of blood. And here's our girl Rahab, y'all. Check it. She puts a scarlet rope out the window. Why? So her family wouldn't have to taste of death. Let me tell you about my king. My king just gives glimpses and glimpses and glimpses and glimpses of himself all over the text of Scripture because he wants to reveal to us what is true because he ultimately, the unblemished lamb of Jesus, got up on a cross, surrendered his life, and shed his blood and put it on the doorpost of all of us. We don't have to taste of death. I don't know if y'all heard what I just said. And so we get this glimpse of what the king was up to because Rahab, the prostitute, put the rope out the window that secured her freedom. And you know what? When it comes to the blood, that becomes preeminent and what you used to do becomes less than. When it comes to the blood, that is Really, what our identity is now rooted in is not in the fact of what we used to do. It's not in the fact of where we came from, but it's in the fact of the blood that is over the threshold, the rope that is hanging out the window, and the king that has surrendered his life on a cross and overcame the grave. That is what we put our identity in. That is why we see that in the story of God, it includes a prostitute. 
Why? Because the king wants us to know that all are welcome. It doesn't matter what you used to do, what you're currently doing, because his blood is enough. And so if we, as a people, say, you know what? I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I have blown it time and time again, but I'm putting the scarlet rope out. I'm putting the blood over the threshold. And King, you are enough. That's what our identity is. And so as I read about my sister Rahab, y'all, I'm telling you, I'm reading this by myself. I'm like, you better go, girl. Put the rope out the window. Because that blood, that salvation is enough. See, that blood, that scarlet rope allows enemies and spies to sit at the same table. That rope out the window allows for people to see that the kingdom of God is a better kingdom. Verse 22, we'll finish up. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And God chose to fulfill his promise to use a prostitute and an enemy to build a kingdom that will last forever. Not only is this prostitute, which as you read the New Testament, it it says often, Rahab the prostitute. Why? I don't think that's on accident. I think because even though she used to do that, she was still used mightily in the kingdom of God because your past no longer has a hold on you because the freedom that has been provided by the scarlet rope in the window. Not only is she in the genealogy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but y'all check it. She made it to the Hall of Fame found in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read it to you. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she was She welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. See, listen. Yes, she was a prostitute, but you want to know what she was? A son of a good, the daughter of a good king. Because the king welcomed her in and said, Rahab, you are no longer defined by what you used to do or who you hang out with. You now have a new identity that's rooted in me, that's unshakable and unmovable, no matter what anybody else has to say. I had a friend send me this to put it in perspective. When others saw Sarah as a barren woman, God saw a mother of all the nations. When others saw David as a young, poor shepherd, God saw a mighty king. Others may not see you, but God sees you. 
See, others might view you as an enemy or a spy. They might look at you and say, you're not good enough and you're not welcome here. Can I just tell you, you are welcome at the table of the king. When others would look at me, they just saw a young, chubby black kid with a speech impediment. But can I tell you, when my king looked at me, he said, Nick, you will preach my word. Nick, I will use you in ways that will call dead things back to life. He said, Nick, so don't listen to the haters out there. Listen to the voice of your king. So let me tell you, people, let me tell you, friends of the king, let me tell you those who are downtrodden, let me tell you those who walk with their heads down because you don't feel like you have dignity, let me tell you what the king says about you. You are welcome. You are renewed. You walk in a new way. You put on the robe of righteousness that was given to you. You didn't have to earn it because he gave it to you. You put on your belt of truth and remember who you are. Remember whose you are because that is what the king has said about you. So when they call you a prostitute, when they say you're less than, when they say you're not good enough, will you please remind them, but do you know my king? And my king... My king has put the robe on me. He has put the rope that is scarlet over me. He has put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and he has surrendered his son to win me back. So don't you tell me who I am, because the king tells me who I am. And here is what is true. The king's kingdom is better. Because in the kingdom of this king, enemies become family, spies become confidants, past are no longer leveraged to disqualify, the blood of the lamb makes people new, and all are invited to this kingdom. Romans 15.5 says it this way, and I'll close with this. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the invitation. May we accept the invitation to surrender lesser kingdoms for the greatest of kingdoms, And may we be a people who no longer let our past and what we used to do determine our future. May we be a people that remember that because of what the king has done and that he has invited us to his table, that we are now defined by whose table we sit at and whose company we keep. And may it be said of us that we are to God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. If you would, bow your heads. Oh, Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that you would invite a people such as us with the past, with the sin, with the struggles, with the missteps, with all the falls, with the bumps, the bruises, the scrapes, the scars, it doesn't make any sense that you would invite us who are united because of our brokenness. It doesn't make any sense that you would invite us because you are not in need of anything. It doesn't make any sense that you would invite 
us to your table, but not only did you invite us, but you made a way. You set the table. You pulled out our seat. You put the robe on the back and said, this is for you if you're willing to sit down. So Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that in your kingdom that enemies become friends and those who are far are brought near. Thank you. Thank you that in your kingdom we are red, yellow, black, and white, and we are all precious in his sight. Thank you. Thank you that you were able to forgive us even the biggest follies and missteps. Thank you that you have given us a new name and a new identity rooted in you. Father, may we walk in that, and may we be a people because of the invitation you have given us and because of what kingdom we belong to. May we be an intersection of heaven intersecting this earth, and may we be a people that walk in this surrendered posture because we have surrendered lesser kingdoms for the greatest of kingdom for king who is good. Maybe in this space, in this place, right here and right now. Maybe there's someone in here that says, you know what? I didn't know I was invited. I didn't know that a God like that would want to keep company with someone like me. But let me remind you that he does. He has invited you. And you can take your seat at the table of the king if you could say something like this. Dear Jesus. I do not understand it all. Nobody does. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived. I say yes to the fact that you surrendered your life on a cross, paying a debt that I was bankrupt to pay. But because you had sufficient funds, you were able to pay it because of the perfect life you lived. I say yes to the fact that three days after giving your life on a cross, you overcame death and the grave, and through you and you alone, I am able to overcome death and the grave. So I say yes to you. And if you are in this place and you said something like that to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, know that you are new, that you are welcome, and that you now sit at the table of a king and you have become a son or daughter of the king. And there is nothing anybody can do about it. So Jesus, I pray that in light of what you have done and what you are doing, Lord, whatever next step we need to take out of this moment, may we be willing to take it. Maybe that next step is going to talk to someone at the next step's room. Maybe that next step is sending a text to the next step's phone. Maybe that's going to talk to somebody. Maybe that's praying. But I just pray that whatever the step is, that you give those who are called by your name the courage and the faith to step. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your amazing name. Amen.